every spirit in a body and time on earth can learn from the whales and dolphins. We too have a rhythm of living in the deep and breaking surface in the world. Living in the deep, breaking surface. So the question really is, what's your rhythm? What's your rhythm? Welcome to Impact the World. Today's guest is none other than Mark Nepo. I'm sure many of you are already familiar with Mark. I certainly have been aware of his name and his work for a good couple of decades now. And perhaps his biggest book, The Book of Awakening, has been the book that has taken his work, his name, around the world. He has just released a new book, which is called Surviving Storms. And so it was great to get to catch up with Mark to not only speak to him about the work he's doing, his affinity with words, but he also shares some of his epiphanal experiences, the cancer diagnosis that essentially woke him up to the preciousness of life and how that intersected with his spirituality. There are so many beautiful things in this show, but I will say, and I share this with Mark near the end, for me personally, it was just such a pleasure to sit in his aura, to sit in his auric field with him and to feel the way he sees, perceives, feels. Uh, it was a beautiful, wise episode from a wise being, uh, even though, as he himself says, he's just as human as the rest of us going through all of the ups and downs that we all go through on our path of evolution. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark and you can find all of his work at marknepo.com. We will share links to his website and also his latest book in the show notes. And as ever, if you enjoy Impact the World and you want to support us, if you share, rate or review the episode or the show, it really helps us to reach more people. So thank you. For now, enjoy this conversation with Mark. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. And it's it's really lovely to meet you after all of these years of knowing you and your work out there. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I know that by the time we air the show, your latest book will be coming out and it's called Surviving Storms. This is your 23rd book or is this your 24th? No, this is the 23rd yeah, wow. published book. It's uh, always astonishing to me and it's always magic that uh you know like dh lawrence said in one of his poems not i but the wind that blows through me so mm. i'm just always humble and grateful you know i'm this wasn't here and now it is how did this happen <laughs> wow. well i don't really know much about your backstory mark so when did you first have this affinity with words? Was it uh, was it like a light bulb moment for you? Or was it just over time you realized you had this connection to, well, to I words? Think that, you know, when I look back, and I certainly as a young boy didn't have language for it, but the world and the universe has always spoken to me through metaphor before I even knew what that word meant. You know, even I can remember as a little boy, I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City. So so nature was at a premium early on and but whenever i would be you know i can remember being i don't know five six and the wind a sudden wind through the trees and it was as if it was saying to me pay attention what is this like what is this like and so i've always that's been my language of discovery 
And, um, and then, you know, more in a more usual way, when I was in high school, uh, the first woman I fell in love with broke my heart. And, uh, and I didn't have any, I certainly wasn't a loner, but I hadn't, I hadn't experienced real close friends till I got to college. So at that time, you know, I started writing as a way to deal with what is this thing called heartache. And, and then over time, I realized I wasn't really talking to myself. I had begun a conversation with the universe. Hmm. And then uh, when I was an undergraduate at Cortland State in upstate New York, um, I had a very kind of uh, mystical moment in which I knew I was a poet, even though I hadn't written very much yet. <laughs> and uh, I was walking, the, the campus was on the top of a hill and anywhere you fell off the hill, the town was encircled it on the bottom. But I was walking down one late afternoon in spring and, and a, a wind again, a wind just went behind my ear, stopped me and it went out into the openness. And then in a minute it reached the trees on the far hills about a mile away. And something in that I understood the reach and something in that I knew I was a poet. I just knew it and started uh learning and moving and you know in fact i i went home and de declared with great excitement to my parents who were you know uh first generation born here of immigrant of jewish immigrants in brooklyn and you know very concerned with our survival i was the first in my family to go to college so i come home and said i'm a poet and they were like what <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I had another moment with, I had a, I had a very archetypal argument with my father who very quickly said, you know, how are you going to make a living? And I don't know where it came in me, but I suddenly stopped and said, I'm, I'm going to live a making. And mm. it took me years to really discover what that meant. But, you know, in my early thirties, um, you know, I'm 71 and, and, you know, when I met people my age when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. It doesn't seem so old now. Um, and uh, but in my 30s, I had a rare form of lymphoma that I almost died from, which you probably know from my work. And um, and then that changed everything that changed everything. And and um, and so, you know, suddenly I was and, and, and let me put my journey in the context of the journey for everyone is that everyone sooner or later will be given the chance to be dropped into the depth of life. You know, often it's a life-threatening situation or a loss or something difficult, but it doesn't have to be. It could be beauty or wonder or surprise or being loved unconditionally for the first time. It happens that it was cancer for me, so that's what I report on, but that's not the point. It's not, you know, what's opened in us is always more important than what opens us. And um, so in my cancer journey, uh, as I said, I was, I was teaching at the University of Albany. I still was, you know, I didn't have any books published yet. And, um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was turned inside out and upside down. And, and then, you know, forget writing poems and books, you know, I had to use this, this tool, this gift of expression to make it to tomorrow. So it wasn't like, oh, this is good material or pay. No, this was like, 
I began journaling and writing every day as a way to stay centered in the storm. And it was like climbing a rope of expression a day at a time. And when I was still blessed to be here, which was a miracle, you know, I, I, um, a couple of things changed for me drastically. One was that, and maybe one of the most important is that, you know, being raised Jewish, I have a great tie to the Jewish heritage. Um, but I was blessed to have the help and, uh, and care of people from all traditions including atheists and scientists and naturalists and um, indigenous people. And, and so when I woke up on the other side, I was not, and all these years later, I'm still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. Hmm. And I feel like I was challenged to believe in everything. And so ever since then, uh, the center of all my books and all my teaching is what I feel is this common unnameable center and the unique gifts of every path. Um, the, the other thing that, you know, before my cancer journey, I was in my head way too much. And again, you know, no wisdom of mine, no choices, but just the experience, you know, had dropped me from my head into my heart. And so ever since then, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. Hmm. And, you know, the, the other thing that's so important in terms of the artistic or creative journey is that before that, I was a driven young artist. And on the other side, I lost my drive, which was very disorienting. It took several months before I understood what was happening. And, and so but on the other side i was drawn to things not driven hmm. and which was much deeper and more freeing and the, the image that that i've come to to try to speak about this is that you know before it's like if if there's a if there's a strong river and it's held by its banks well it it, it run it may run deep and fast but and it makes a lot of noise but when it reaches its mouth at the sea all that energy and current doesn't disappear. It just goes deeper and joins the ocean. And so that's what had happened to me. My energy and creative drive hadn't disappeared. It just went deeper and quieter. And now that I felt like I was experiencing true inner freedom. Wow. Well, it's interesting hearing you talk about some of this in the context of this last two and a half years on the planet, mm. I was thinking about, you know, the, the aptness of this book title, and I'm assuming that you were working on it during this period where yes, yes, yes. I think there has been a global awakening or deepening. And of course it's different for everybody and where they're at in that experience or how they've reacted to that experience. But I've certainly never seen such a, worldwide game changer in the way that we were all living. So it's interesting to hear you speak about the presence. I guess a, a question I have for you, you talk about the heart now leading and your mind responding to your heart rather than the other way around. Do you find you maintain this level of presence 
most or all of the time? Or do you find that there are times you you get knocked out of it and you have certain methods to bring you back? I, I wondered how it shows up for you now. Yeah, well, I, li I live there most of the time, but of course I'm human. So of course I trip and fall and uh, forget everything I know and have to learn it all over again. And um, but I and, and we can talk about that. Let me mention one thing about about the pandemic, because I think this is very powerful for me. Um, and I've, I, I think other people who've gone through life threatening things had their journeys come back up when the pandemic hit. And for me, this moment came back when I was first diagnosed and I had gone, you know, I had this really tumor growing out of my skull bone. It was very large and visible. And, and when I went to the do a doctor and was told that I had cancer, and of course I was, you know, you must have the wrong folder. Can you double check? And I was terrified. And but the door I had come through that day to keep that appointment was gone. There was no way back to life before that appointment. And I feel like the pandemic has done that for humanity. Much as we'd all like it to go back, the old world is gone. In fact, that's the opening chapter of the new book. The old world is gone. And the only way is to love each other forward. And every generation has different particulars, but this is, we get our turn. Hmm. You know, in my parents' generation, it was World War II. Um, every generation gets its turn, and we get the chance to enter the depth of life. Are we going to accept that we are each other? Are we going to choose love over fear? Are we going to push each other away? And, you know, it's so interesting that that uh, and the jury's out on our time yet, yeah, not yet, but I believe, you know, uh, one of the things I discovered, one of my books called More Together Than Alone is is a, a historical look across cultures and history and moments when we've worked well together, just stories and lessons. And in there, one of the things I discovered is in the Middle Ages in Europe, which we know is the Dark Ages. Now, it's interesting that. The rest of the world was pretty enlightened at that time. Hmm. Of course, we in our self, you know, self narcissistic culture, you know, we say the whole well, it was the dark ages. And well, actually, everybody else was doing pretty well. <laughs> but in the dark ages in Europe, 90% of the European population was illiterate. That means 10% kept literacy alive for over 300 years. Hmm. And if we are entering a dark time, despite all of our technological tools, um, it's incumbent on us when we're awake, when we're awake, because there is no they, we are they, so we take turns being awake and asleep. But when we're awake, it's incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive right now. It's imperative. So everything, your show, the things we do, the places we go to have these conversations matters because if you imagine, imagine, okay, my body, my physical body, if I, biologically, if I have one more healthy cell than toxic, I'm considered leaning well, like a lot more, but as long as I got one, well, I invite you to think of humanity as a global body and every soul is a cell in that body. And so every time we are authentic and kind and true and try to understand things we don't understand, um, we're keeping 
the cells in the global body more healthy than toxic. Hmm. So while we can respond to specific incidents and things with reactions and actions and meeting causes and doing this matters too. Yeah. So to come back to your book for a second. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen the book yet. I know you only just received the first copy of it now, but um, I was struck by something on the Amazon page for the book where a quote from you where, and I'm paraphrasing here, Mark, but it was to do with uh, basically the book is you bringing to us the message of how we can withstand and move through any storm in life and and navigate our way through any storm so that feels so perfect for where a lot of slightly shattered exhausted uh yeah. splintered people might be right now given how 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 tough it's been the last few years even though there have been many amazing things too so cool. yeah, yeah so so thank you let, let me also clarify that I don't know what I haven't seen the Amazon page, but but that's what the book's about. But I don't have any answers. You know, I, I don't overpromise. What I what I do can say is that because it is our turn, we all face storms, personal, interpersonal, literal, climate change, political, cultural. We got a lot of storms happening. And all of the not just my work, but all the traditions offer tools for how to survive and thrive. They're not, these are not abstract. These are real and useful and they only become useful during times like this. And so what I try to do is we can outline the choice points, the struggle points, the places that are difficult and hard and exhaustive. And we can offer up all the tools and then we can compare notes. Then we can say what works for you, what works for me. So none of my books are how to books. I, I don't we can't do that. What we can do is say, look, this is this is in the geography of making it through this. Everybody trips right here. What's it like for you? What's it like for me? This is what worked for me. This is what didn't work. Oh, well, this is what worked for me. Hmm. And that's how we gather and help each other and share tools and move on. So the book uh, really tries to kind of give a uh, as accurate a description or diagnosis of from my view, because I've been troubled like everyone else. How did we get where we are today? Hmm. And then we're not the, the, the details are different. This has been going on for a long time. So what are the tools? and things available to all of us that we can draw on now to help each other uh, move forward, to help. And I think one of the things in our modern world, there's a lot that, that this kind of perfect storm in our, in our society and global society, I think that, that has isolated us and severed us from deeper meaning. And, and I think it's remarkable that uh, there's a good portion of our society seems to have lost its direct connection with life. And I feel that because, you know, even take like the insurrection, the horrible insurrection, January 6th, that I remember seeing that on TV and, and live. And it's just like brokenhearted and dumbfounded that here was 
barbaric violence, not, not even really tied to any cause. It doesn't really matter what the, there was just, which in order for that to happen, there has to be a loss of reverence for life. You can't just hurt other life. Mm-hmm. There was no hesitation. And at the same time, there was dissociation. They, they were taking pictures of themselves like they were in a video game. And this was such a start to me of, wow, not all, there's this huge severance from the direct connection to life and this, this lack, this struggle today of, of knowing what's real. That seems like preposterous, but it's true. And I think that the more that we can rediscover uh, our direct connection to life, the more we'll recover our reverence for life. And, and the, the more we, you know, because violence is often a last attempt to feel. The, the, feel it, the need to feel never goes away. And if we suppress it enough, it will come out sideways. Hmm. It will come outside. And this is why, you know, more and more we have all these violent films. And on a physical level, symbolic, what are they doing? They're opening up. Other, there's an, uh, uh, an unbelievable need in the film stories to literally open people up. Hmm. Because that need to open and feel never goes away. And if we cap it, it's going to come out. It's going to come out sideways. So, you know, we have this, uh, this, this terrible dissociation and loss of a common center. And, lo- you know, there are facts. You know, we are alive. What does that mean? Well, now, okay, you have a different idea of what that means and a different experience than I do too. But, you know, I mean, we, there are certain things that are real that are, are fundamental. You know, if I put my hand in water, uh, we don't have to argue about, I know what wet is. Do I need you to tell me that it's wet? No. And likewise, I know what reverence for life is. I know what love is. I know what pain is. So there is a fundamental level of truth that we have been severed from. Hmm. And so now you take that and you have people, especially young people, without that connection. And now we start to mistake intensity for meaning. Intensity is not meaning. Intensity is intensity. And so things are stimulating things and, and in, a, in, a, in a place where you can't feel stimulation is welcome. Hmm. Oh, wow. And so, you know, there's, there's this unbelievable bubble that we know that now that, that Facebook, social media, all these things have created again out of greed so that you know, there is no common set of facts anymore. So, you know, all of this to say that, um, and, and so let me, then we can get back into other things, but let me bring this one more, one more story in, which is also a chapter in the new book on the purpose of goodness. And this, I, I discovered this insight through an un, unexpected way. I was reading uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson, that wonderful, our contemporary physicist. And um, 
wonderful book, not watered down at all. It is not for people in a hurry <laughs> at all. But in the beginning, in, in the kind of physics that he believes in and follows and looks and inquires, you know, he shared his notion and the people who see it like him of how the universe began. And what he proposes or, or conjectures is that before the universe existed, there was all this matter and antimatter. There, there was positive matter called photons and antimatter called hadrons. And the instant that there was a billion and one photons and a billion hadrons, just one more, the universe came into being. And the, the conjecture is that, you know, as the earth was formed, if it had settled a little closer to the sun in its orbit, we wouldn't be here because all the water would have evaporated. Hmm. And likewise, if it had settled a little farther away, it would all the water would have frozen, we wouldn't be here. And I was, you know, I was just struck by what a small gesture we're here at all. And I was doing errands, and I think I was in the line at the pharmacy at the drugstore, when all of a sudden it hit me. This isn't a description of how the universe began. This is an ongoing description of how the universe and life continues. And this is the purpose of goodness, because every day there's one photon, one gesture of kindness or love or care that keeps life going. And we never know if it's the one we're doing or not. And that's where faith, real faith comes in is because we got to do it. So if, if you're out shopping and an old woman drops her groceries and falls in the parking lot and you rush over to help her, that may be the gesture that keeps life going that day. Mm. This is the purpose of goodness. And it's gone on forever and we need it more than ever. And it's not that we're going to be on the news for it or get an award for it or be praised for it. We do it because it's because that is what we do. Mm. Beautiful. I have a question for you. You mentioned earlier uh, that you've you've just you've just gone into your 70s. And you know, I'm I'm currently 46. And I one of the things I do in my work is channel and my guides are always talking about the wisdom of our elders, the importance of reconnecting to that wisdom in our society, because as we see in 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 our part of the world, certainly that's kind of forgotten and disconnected from. Um, but they also talk about the spiritual importance of if you live a long human life, your last couple of decades or your last few decades and the slowing down that takes place. So there is a speeding up. Uh, so I'm curious. I mean, you, you said you, you're 71. So you're, yeah. you're just into that into that 70 decade. But as somebody who has walked a spiritual and awake and aware path for a long time, and tapping into what you just said about good things. What is one of the great things about being in your 70s that has surprised you or that you would never have expected 30 or 40 years ago? Well, I think I think this has been and if you imagine this insight as a slow flower that has blossomed over decades. The insight is that there is no there, there's only here. There's nowhere to go. 
And, you know, the humble truth is I go all over the world and I, I so love being in circles with people and in, in, in those big or small. But the truth is I go all over and whenever I get wherever there is, I'm there to affirm that there's nowhere to go. And I'm happy. It's a privilege to do it. Of course, on the surface, we're traveling vast distances, but when we're ever authentically together, we open the same eternal moment, hmm. the same eternal moment, you know, and in, in the Kabbalah in the Jewish mysticism tradition, it's, there's this so sense that the, that the moment of revelation that comes all the time unexpectedly is at once new and a deja vu. Because that one eternal, like we've known that in our heart since before we were born, and yet it's new to us this moment because we finally are awaking to it today. Mm. And I've, I've, I've had that. I've, you know, I've, I was the last before the pandemic. I was in London and, and um, uh, speaking, and and I was just wandering around as I love to do. And there was this moment on a corner and a bus, one of those double buses came by and the light off the metal and the lamppost and someone was rushing to catch the bus. And, and I just had this moment of like, um, that it was home. I'd never been there before. And it was one of those, it was new, but it was also a remembrance of the moment that we all share. And so I think the most beautiful thing at this point in my life is that um, there's nowhere to go. And, you know, I feel like a fish in the stream. Now that I'm in the center of the stream, well, I don't really want to get out of it. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm not swimming. You know, fish don't swim to go anywhere. <laughs> they swim to be in the current, in the deep. So I'm, you know, and, and I would say, you know, not just now in my 70s, but for a long time now, you know, writing has been listening and taking notes. Hmm. Certainly, I bring my all to it. And that add, adds to it because it comes through the filter of my personal life, you know. Um, but, the, but what comes through is, is eternal. Hmm. And so it's, you know, these, I had a moment like that uh, just here in our backyard a few weeks ago. And, you know, my wife, we don't have any kids. We have a very spoiled yellow lab and uh, yeah, but hammock and, and our dog loves to jump in the hammock with us. And we were, I was sitting out reading and, and in the yard, my wife, Susan was in the hammock and Zuzu, our dog had jumped in with her. And they didn't realize I saw them, you know, I was watching, but at this moment when they were just rocking in the hammock, the light was on them and Susan was talking to Zuzu and petting her head while they were rocking. And I thought, this is it. There's nowhere else to go. This is mm -hmm. it. What more could you ask for? Hmm. And I think one of the, so one of the things is when we have that, when we can recover the, that direct connection to life, we start to realize that heaven is here hmm. if we don't step over it, if we don't break it, looking for something else. And, uh, and, and that's one of the true, and I, and I believe that it's through our humanity that we uncover spirit.
because we have these amazing minds, we can transcend and conceptualize. But no, we, we, it's through our humanity that we actually inhabit spirit, that it sings through us. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know or have you heard of the Naropa University? Mm-hmm. Yes. Older, yeah. yeah. Through the years, I've, I've talked there a few times. And, uh, but I've always, I'm always interested. One of the times I was, I think the second time I was there, I was, why Naropa? Why do you call it Naropa? And uh, it took a while, but finally there was, there was an old professor. He's probably my age. But now but he uh, who knew and he told me this amazing story that in the 11th century in India, I forget what city, but it was a city where there was a university and uh, Naropa was a, a, a comparative religion scholar of the time. Hmm. He was this he knew all the traditions he was very well known in the religious communities. And he was walking through the city one day when an old woman kind of walked past her with a cane and she stopped and said, aren't you Naropa? And he said, oh, he got ready to sign an autograph. You know, he got all puffed up. Yes, I am, you know. And she went, huh. And then she said to him, do you know the heart of all those teachings? And he was caught off guard and he got defensive. He said, of course I do. And they walked away and they got about 20 feet away from each other and he knew he lied. And he ran back and knelt before her and said, be my teacher. Hmm. And ever since then, Naropa has been a symbol of embodied wisdom. Hmm. So I think it's beautiful that there's a university named that. Hmm. Did you have anyone or a few people in your younger life that, that were that for you? You know, were, Did you have those mentors at a young age who held embodied wisdom or embodied spirit that that stick out to you in your mind now yeah i I think the very first one was my grandmother Hmm. my father's father who was a very uh strong woman matriarch uh russian immigrant came to america at the turn of the 1900s and she was the first one who really i think uh i used to you know, I used to stay with her when I was a boy in Brooklyn, and I loved being there. And um, she was the first one who ever really spoke to me soul to soul, even though I was a little boy. I somehow knew no one had ever spoke to me that authentically. And that that she did, there was an inherent respect for the little life I was. And I remember being, you know, that one, she lived in a four apartment brownstone in Brooklyn and I was in the basement when I was rummaging through the basement I was maybe eight nine and uh and her husband my grandfather I never really knew because he died before I was born or when I was a year old or something like that but I'm the I'm he's the only one I look like in the family Hmm. and but I was rummaging through the basement and I found his prayer book that I didn't know what it was it was like an artifact covers were like bark and you know it's tattered and and she came down the steps in her apron and saw that I was holding this and teared up and and then she sat me between her legs and she said um you are why I came to this country hmm. she said you are why I live and she took my little hands and said these are the oldest things you own 
And, you know, and I was just, no one had ever talked to me that way, let alone the, 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 the sincerity of soul to soul. And I realized later that's not, and this is another thing that I would say extrapolate to what we can do in such times of storms. That was a foundational story for me. That's a part of my personal mythology. So one thing we can do, we all have those foundational stories. They're roots, they're spiritual roots. In times of storm, in times of chaos, in times of such ambiguity and complexity, we need to discover, tell ourselves and others what those stories are and what do they mean for our time here on earth. They're not just chaotic, uh, random narratives. And so we all have a person, and you know, the whole purpose of myth is to keep in view what's hard to keep in view. So how do we do that? So that's a story that's come back to me through the years, and it always reminds me of who I am. It always reminds me of the lineage I'm a part of, even if I can't identify particular people. Hmm. So to you know, folks who are listening to us, I invite you, journal about one foundational story that reminds you of who you are. It, it also could be a difficult story. That was a wonderfully pot, you know, a wonderful story of affirmation, but it could be a story that shaped you because it was difficult, because it, it hurt it hurt, because it was challenging, you know. Diamonds are formed by coal being pressurized into a diamond. So not all the foundational stories are easy ones. Hmm. Hmm. Mark, this is a strange question because of who you are and the way you experience life. But I feel to ask it, you've been very prolific with your book writing. And it's clearly been something that you have done alongside your life all of the time. But have you ever gone through periods where uh, you have felt more disconnected from that work in a way that has been difficult rather than just, oh, I'm taking a break and I'm unattached? Yeah. So so let me talk about that a little bit, too. And, and, and um, um, one of my books, Drinking from the River of Light, is all about what we're talking about, the life of expression, regardless of what form it takes. And how do, how do we relate to that? What is our ongoing conversation with that? So uh, I think the most difficult time for me was after almost dying and being the in between when I lost the drive before I realized that I was drawn to things. Because during that time, I really, I was spinning and I thought, well, I mean, I'm so happy I didn't die, but, but I feel like I lost my gift. Where is it? What good, you know, if I can't have my gift. And of course, it had just was presenting itself, as I said, in a, in a deeper way. And, and all of that changed how I understand creativity. So, and, and the flow of it. And, and great, te the great teachers of this. So, so, you know, great teachers of this are whales and dolphins. Because, you know, we take for granted they're air breathing creatures. Hmm. As mammoth as they are, 
as long as they can stay down, they have to surface to breathe. And they can't stay on the surface because they must be immersed in the deep, in the water, for the rest of their body to continue to live. So they, they have this rhythm of going in the deep and breaking surface, or going in the deep and breaking surface. So this isn't just about creativity. Every spirit in a body and time on earth can learn from the whales and dolphins. We too have a rhythm of living in the deep and breaking surface in the world. Living in the deep, breaking surface. So the question really is, what's your rhythm? What's your rhythm? So again, a question for our listeners and viewers, you know, are you too much in the deep? Are you too much in the world right now? What is your balance? What do you need to do to be whole, to be present? So with that in mind, and looking at, at the creative journey, um, everything, you know, like, like a lot of writers, or, you know, when, when I was in school and, you know, I was taught to look, be on the look for good material. Well, you know, almost dying gave me the lens of the miraculous. Everything is miraculous. Everything is good material. The only question is, as a human being, am I open enough in this moment to receive it? Am I open enough, deep enough, is my heart open enough to feel it and to express it? And to let it through and if i'm not it's not writer's block it's not that i'm bankrupt it's that i'm human and i need to renew myself hmm. i need to rest i need to i can't you know i i'm not able to hear in this moment but the miracle hasn't gone anywhere so this is where in the modern world, in the Western world especially, we've subtly made ourselves into little gods, like it's all in my control. Hmm. So if I don't receive something, then it must be I, I have writer's block, or I've failed, or I'm not doing it well anymore. And if it do, does come through me, well, look how good I did. But, but that's none of that's the point. The point is that we are an open vessel. And all it's an indication is as to whether that vessel is open or closed. And so this brings us very humbly to the, the notion that we're a human being. By design, we are a paradox. The being is infinite and the human is very finite. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, I always think about, I don't know, maybe somebody somewhere is in light, in a state, in a arrived state of enlightenment. Maybe the Dalai Lama is enlightened. I don't know. But my experience has been, um, that's not my experience. My experience has been that I, uh, you know, I'm clear and then I'm confused. I'm grounded and then I'm not. Uh, you know, I give freely and then I hesitate. And so I think that this personal spiritual practice, whatever, however we fill that toolbox, is always a practice of return hmm. always a practice of return you know medieval monks 
when asked how they practiced their faith, said by falling down and getting up. That I understand. And that makes the spirit, the human spiritual journey even more heroic and noble to me. Because we're just, we're just here figuring it out. And right, we can have this wonderful conversation and I can take the garbage to the curb and trip after we're done and forget everything I ever knew and have to learn it all over again. And after I get frustrated with that, isn't that wonderful? What else would we do? <laughs> I'm just having a moment. We don't want to put that out there. <laughs> uh, that's all right although if you know as you say if it happens it happens yeah it, it's interesting i well you know what i would love to do actually you have this beautiful book the book of awakening which is is really your most known book your most yeah. uh, consumed book amazing and um this is the 20th anniversary edition that i have here and we're recording this ahead of time. So full disclosure, everybody today is August the 15th, even though you are probably watching this in November. So I opened the book to the August 15th passage. It was very appropriate for me to read this today. Of course, there's there's only one of us here. Being held a hardness we can't see cold and rigid begins to form between us and the world the longer we stay silent about what we need. It is not even about getting what we need, but about admitting, mostly to ourselves, that we do have needs. Asking for help, whether we get it or not, breaks the hardness that builds in the world. Paradoxically, asking even for the things that no one can give, we are relieved and blessed for the asking. For admitting our humanness lets the soul break surface the way a dolphin leaps for the sun. <laughs> One of the most painful barriers we can experience is the sense of isolation the modern world fosters, which can only be broken by our willingness to be held, by the quiet courage to allow our vulnerabilities to be seen. For as water fills a hole and as light fills the dark, Kindness wraps around what is soft, if what is soft can be seen. So admitting what we need, asking for help, letting our softness show. These are prayers without words that friends, strangers, wind and time all wrap themselves around. Allowing ourselves to be held is like returning to the womb. And you have a few prompts at the bottom. As you breathe, try to relax and soften your guard for these brief moments. Breathe slowly and feel your pores open more fully to the world. Inhale deeply and let the air and silence get closer. Inhale cleanly and allow yourself to be held by what is. No, oh, thank you for reading that. Thank you for writing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. My goodness. I'll, you know, I mean, and it raises a, um, I think that notion I can recognize now as you read it has developed over time in other books 
into this paradox that still I work with, and, and that is we do need to have the courage to ask for what we need only to practice uh, accepting what we're given. Hmm. And again, you know, the, 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 so often when we ask for what we need, we don't get what we ask for. But by asking, not only being held, by asking and having the courage, we become more intimate with our own nature. Hmm. And by accepting what we're given, we become more intimate with the nature of life. And there is that uh, yet another dance between between our intimacy with ourselves and our intimacy with the world. It's interesting. I like the. This is nothing to do with the book or or the writing. But <laughs> I, I, I notice in my experience of being with you right now, even though we are on Zoom and so we aren't in the same room. I like the speed of the space that I feel in connecting with your auric field, because oh. there's a there's a there's a there's a slowness and a steadiness and a, but it, but the spaciousness when I'm with you is is what I notice that feels uh, that tells me something about your energy signature and where you're living from. Oh well, thank you. Yeah. And I think as you raise spaciousness, I mean, this is another thing that has forever been a challenge for human beings. You know, we as humans, the human part of us, we we greet spaciousness and often talk about it as being empty. As if there's something lacking. When spiritually spaciousness, we need to be in that spaciousness to discover everything. Hmm. And so, you know, it's not by when we don't, you know, when we can't take uh, our humanness into our spirit, then what happens? Look at our society. You know, we, we live in a filler up society. So the response to quote emptiness is, oh, fill it, fill it, fill it with noise, fill it with data, fill it with food, fill it with sex fill it with anything you can possibly find because we don't want to be empty and that's one of the most quiet courage stages of courage of all is to be with that until the emptiness opens into spaciousness mm -hmm. into space because after all you know i think almost all musical instruments there might be one but i can't think of it but i think most in musical instruments are hollow. Otherwise, there's no music. Hmm. Hmm. I'm sure somebody is going to let us know which one isn't hollow. But I, <laughs> <laughs> even even I think of a couple of my musician friends, but, but that's so true. Uh, yeah. Um, Mark, you, you have this new book coming out. So obviously, we've talked a little bit about the themes of this book. In fact, it will be out by the time this airs. I'm wondering, what have you noticed in people that is different this side of COVID? Because you, you have been 
out out a little yeah. bit more in the world again recently like what are you noticing that has shifted in collective consciousness or what's striking you well i think in the in the people that i've been blessed to be with and which has been in person and on zoom and in large settings and, and retreat settings i do feel like people are more a little more raw mm. which is a good thing i feel that people are 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 less filtered and i feel like uh, like it allows us to go deep quickly and i think that this is um you know this is a part of the practice of of reaching out you know in our age i mean i was interviewed uh last summer i think it was by a wonderful young woman in england and 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 she was saying you know that her generation was experiencing an epidemic of loneliness hmm. and did i have anything to say you know could i speak to that and what left up in my heart was something from my my cancer journey and and what i said was you know uh you don't interview ambulance drivers you take the first one that comes along and if you're lonely you say hello you don't go through your list of prerequisites. Is this going to be a good person to be in relationship with a friend or I don't know. No, no, you awkward. It doesn't, you know, who knows? But we breach the awkwardness. We soften and we say hello. Hmm. And maybe someone will not say hello back. Uh, or maybe they'll hesitate or maybe they'll jump and say, gee, I never thought anybody would say hello. But all of that doesn't matter in terms of what allows us to come out of our shell hmm. and out of hiding so that we can be in the light and grow. Hmm. And I feel like people are a little closer to that on this side of the pandemic. It's true there is an emotional vulnerability yeah. that, that, which isn't always comfortable and doesn't always show up as uh highly organized in its expression shall we say but but it's there and and there is something to that that feels much more real even if sometimes it can it can it can make for an interesting chemical reaction too <laughs> yeah <laughs> um mark i i'm gonna close today's conversation by asking you something that that came to me first thing this morning when I was thinking about you and I was thinking about the book of awakening how has the book of awakening changed your life yeah so that's a great question and so let me go back to um how it came to me and my you know because um on the other side of my cancer journey, and I have so many people in my life that are in different forms of recovery, uh, and and in you know even in AA, but in alcohol, children, adult children of alcoholics, and you know I I noticed that there were these day books everywhere in that world, and they're used. They're mm. up, they're mm -hmm. wrinkled, they're in back pockets, they're in cars, they're in bathrooms, you know. And so it occurred to me that like, wow, if I could fill that form with small doses of what matters, I could give back. And so that's how it started. And, um, and then, you know, 
Um, I for 10 yet came out in 2000 and then for 10 years, uh, that book had an unbelievable life of its own kind of underground and perpetually being handed from here to there. And I get here from people all over as to how, you know, I, one woman walked the entire Appalachian trail and every day that she read it, she, because she had to watch what she was carrying, she would read it and then rip out that page and put it in the fire. That's fantastic. Every day. Wow. It was holy. I mean, you just have no idea, of course, right? And so the book kept coming back to me just in, in blessing after blessing. And then, you know, in 2010, um, Oprah discovered the book, and which was just such a, a great blessing. And she really connected with it on a deep level. And, you know, she didn't need to do any of that. She didn't need to hold it up or say anything about it to anybody well you know that within 24 hours that she spoke about it it was literally all over the world hmm. and and so how that's changed everything has been um well it's changed it in the way that 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 water ripples in a in a lake you know that that it hasn't changed anything in terms of who i am but it's giving me so many more wonderful opportunities to be with people in real time, in real space, in so many levels. You know, I think we're all we're all the same six inches from heaven in the gutter. Right? And that doesn't change. And and so and I think that you know uh, uh, you know again archetypally, um, in terms of having your work known in the world. You know, this goes for every generation and every artist, regardless of form, you know, when you're not known, the challenge is having the confidence to be faithful to what you know is true. Always countering, am I heard? Does this matter? Will I ever be heard? Does it, what am I doing? You know, so the image is like, if you're walking into a strong wind, you lean forward and you still take a grounded step at a time. Hmm. Well, being having your work known, those challenges shift. You still have to stay true to what is coming through you. And on that side, it's more about withstanding being misperceived or misheard or inflated or deflated, or propped up, or knocked down, which all of has nothing to do with who you are. Yeah. And so the image is, well, now the wind's at your back. So, you know, you still have to take a step, grounded step, it's kept you lean backwards instead of forward. So I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, that my work is known more now it's such a blessing because of the well you know we're able to have this connection and um it's just been a blessing in so many ways and paradoxically it has nothing to do with the work mm -hmm. the work just keeps going mm -hmm. 
And I've been blessed to be prolific because somewhere along the way, I only write about what I need to know, what I need to learn. And so there's a lot that I don't know. If I wrote about what I knew, I would have written very little. <laughs> because this is a process of inquiry and the words and the pages in the books are just a trail of that inquiry. Hmm. Hmm. Beautiful. Mark, I know you teach online and in person. Is there anything coming up? We're, we're now in November 2022. Yeah. Is there anything coming up that anyone who's tuned into this show might need to know about or like to know about? Yeah, so, so online in December 11th, I've been doing webinars about three a year. And I'll be doing a webinar on saying yes to life mm. from brokenness to tenderness. And that'll be on December 11th. And folks will be able to find out about that at live.marknepo.com. And then in person, you know, I, um, I, I, you can find on my website where I'll be traveling to teach, but I also teach a year long journey uh, where I live in Michigan, where a small group of people, maybe only 16 or 18 people travel together for a year, gathering four weekends a year. And we go through life together around, you know, I'll design things. And so at my website, Mark, uh, MarkNepo.com, you can find, people can find out more about that. Fantastic. And the new book, Surviving Storms, is now out, as yes. is the Book of Awakening and 21 others. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't yet read any of Mark's work, this is a great time to check it out. And uh, Mark, thank you so much. This has been a real treat for me today and a, a real pleasure to get to, uh, to, to, to be with you in your vibration and the way that you feel, perceive and see the world. I, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm grateful that you keep following the call to put your work out into the world. No, oh, well, thank you so much. A joy, a joy to be with you too. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. You can find out all of Mark's, more about Mark and all of his work at marknepo.com. As ever, we will put links in the show notes below. And we will also put a link to Mark's new book, uh, Surviving Storms. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Impact the World. I'm thrilled to announce that we are bringing Initiation back for 2022. We first held it at the end of last year and it is a channeled mystery school. Even I don't fully know what my guides will bring through in the weekly transmissions, but their intent, and this is the message they've given me, is to synchronize us with the frequencies, the information, and the energies for this passage of time that we're moving through. I can attest that it was very powerful last year, and we had over 5,000 people join us from all around the world, so it was an incredible container. This year, we are starting initiation on October 26th, and for those of you who would like to join us live, I will be doing weekly live broadcasts where I channel my guides for 90 minutes each time. And in between those live broadcasts, I like to deliver what I call a calibration video, where I will guide you through the energetic and psychological process that we go through. If you want to watch it on replay, you will have lifetime access to all of the material. 
So whether you can join us live or not, you will get around 10 hours worth of material. This includes a welcome MP3 message from my guides all about what the initiation journey is designed to be and what you will be inviting into your life as you take this ride with us. We are also giving you our brand new album, Timelines, which we have paired with the course and you will be receiving that two months ahead of everyone else. Alongside that, we have self-care guides and a wonderful community forum where you can share with other members of the group what you're going through, how you're experiencing it, and there is so much medicine in that community. These are always very exciting and slightly unknown events for me because in turning over to my guides as much as I'm about to, I always know that we're going to go on a very shamanic journey but it always seems to intersect perfectly with what's going on in the world at that time and what those of us who show up for the journey are bringing in and calling in for our year to come. So if initiation feels like the right call for you at the right time, we would love to welcome you. Click the link below for more details.